when a boy goes out partying with his girlfriend, he's entitled to sex. Sexually assaulting a 22-year-old woman while she lay unconscious next to a dumpster. Peeling off and discarding my underwear like a candy wrapper to insert your finger into my body is where you went wrong. Sex trafficking of children in this country has become a nationwide problem. I remember him just really brutally beating me and raping me. He started taking pictures of me and I heard him starting to call people and telling them, hey, I have this girl here. You can come do whatever you want to her. And I was numbing my pain with, with alcohol, with self-harm, with eating disorders. We live in a world where sexual violence is normalized. The culture and programs that we have in the United States are not working. So I am bringing in a completely different approach. We are breaking stigmas. Promoting sexual health and acceptance. You are holding change in your hands. This is Talk Taboo with your host, Taylor Stafford. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talk Taboo. I really do appreciate all the support and interest that I've been getting. Wanted to just talk about what's happening with Women Against Taboo, like always. So we are still doing the I Stand Purple movement and fundraiser for October. Remember that 50% goes to Women Against Taboo and 50% goes to Safe Embrace, a domestic violence nonprofit in Reno. You can go donate on Facebook under the womanagainsttaboo.org page or go to www.womanagainsttaboo.org and donate that way. We have set a date for our fundraiser. Finally, finally, finally. It was supposed to be in October. October's a little crazy because of Halloween, dressing up, crawls, all that good stuff. So we are going to do it in November. If you are in the Reno area, we will be doing a I Stand Purple fundraiser at the Loving Cup Bar on November 17th. It's going to be super fun. The owner, Pete Love, we've paired up with him and he is just being a doll to us and we are going to do a raffle there. He's going to figure out some specialty drinks. We're thinking about maybe having the crepe truck there. Haven't talked to the crepe people yet. They might be there. So the 17th is on a Saturday and it's just like the Loving Cup usually is, um, except for a portion of the money will be going to the Women Against Taboo Foundation, and a portion of that will be going back to Safe Embrace as well. Um, we haven't really picked a time and any crazy, crazy, crazy other details yet, but we do know what I just said. So, November 17th, be there, be square. I just want to say a quick thank you to Chloe Davis because she is so cool. <laughs> She's one of our volunteers and she's kind of taken on this event to plan this with me. There will be a lot more volunteers that I will thank in advance and thank later, but Chloe Davis is putting a lot of work into this and she's super excited. And then if you would like to give in a different way besides either going or buying raffle tickets, we can, you guys can also donate stuff for baskets, um, any businesses in the area or um, individuals can put together baskets and donate that way. Yeah, we appreciate all of the help and all of the support that we've been getting. A nonprofit foundation, so we run entirely off of donations and our volunteer time. Thank you to all of our board members and community reps and university reps. Another thing that we are starting on doing, we are doing ambassadorship programs for universities. I have one going here at UNR. I also have my dad's cousin's daughter. I'm like, okay, she's my cousin. She goes to University of Wisconsin-Madison and we're 
thinking we're gonna start one there as well. Basically, you pair with us and then you pair with your university. And you, I'm trying to keep it really open to whatever that specific chapter on that university wants to do. So we can do anything from fundraising or pairing with other nonprofits or sexual abuse organizations or sexual education organizations in the community. We can do seminars, I can come speak. We can do education trainings, events, whatever whatever they really want. I want all the ideas. I think I want to really empower everyone in these organizations to do what they feel is right, but still abiding by what Women Against Taboo stands for. So if you're interested in doing that, email me at womenagainsttaboo at yahoo.com or you can find us on Instagram at woman.against.taboo. The person who runs that account will forward me the information if you do ask any questions on there or want to know information or you can DM me directly on Instagram at I am Taylor Stafford. But my fun topic of the day, not fun today, but it's important and educational. So going on with October being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I wanted to talk about what domestic violence looks like, risk factors. That way you guys actually can use these tools because they are really good tools to determine if maybe you are in a domestic violence relationship or if someone you know and love is in a domestic violence relationship. These can just be some very simple tools to be able to kind of get a better idea and maybe determine if we need some extra help or need to make some changes in our lives. So I am going to talk about the domestic violence cycle. I thought it was super interesting when I was learning about it because it's super easy to detect. And a lot of times in domestic violence, you might not be getting hit or raped, or they might not be throwing things at you. So a lot of times those kind of domestic violence are a little bit easier to detect. I'm not saying that it's easier to get out of and victims of domestic violence always, always, always make excuses into either why they are staying in the relationship or make excuses for that person because they're judgment is actually like cloudy. And so then on the contrary, we have this emotional, verbal, playing with your feelings and your emotions and making you feel like crap and then making you feel awesome and that kind of domestic violence, which is really, really hard to see sometimes, especially if you are the one in the relationship. But some factors of all relationship, they all, or sorry, all domestic violence relationships, they all kind of revolve in this cycle around this wheel. And I posted it with this podcast so you can look at it while I'm talking about it if you want. But I really like this one. So you're in a relationship and all of a sudden we have that explosion or abuse that is happening. So that occurs. In in that incident, it can be verbal, emotional, physical, anger, blaming, arguing, threats, intimidation. They can be subtle or they can be extremely serious and potentially very harmful and dangerous for all the parties involved, especially if there's kids in the relationship as well. So we have this explosion. After that, this is the time when we see a lot of victims try and leave their partner. They end up extremely upset, crying, making extremely irrational decisions. Self-blame is in this stage. So if I just made the rice right, then he wouldn't have had to throw it at me. Or if what else can I do? I do everything for him. What, uh, What am I doing wrong? That kind of blaming. And then, so we make a decision whether we're going to leave him, whether we're going to leave the house, you know, whether we're going to break up, whatever kind of context that relationship is in. And then it comes around to this honeymoon stage. So the abuser comes back and pulls the, I'm sorry, I love you so much. I apologize for everything. I didn't mean to hit you. I was just frustrated because of the way that you made the rise. No, I was frustrated at the way that guy was looking at you or you were talking to that guy, even if it was, you know, super 
innocent, right? So a lot of blaming the victim in the I'm sorry. They'll often in this time give you things that you've been asking for. So maybe it's, um, you never buy me flowers. He buys you flowers. You know, you never take me to do anything anymore. So he takes you to the pumpkin patch. They might try and get you back with gifts, like, you know, anything as small as, like I said, those flowers or a cheap necklace or whatever, and or a car, depending on the financial situation of everyone involved. And just to be very clear, domestic violence happens in all socioeconomic statuses, all cultures, all races, all ages, whether there's children involved, all of that. It happens across the board. So it's going to look a little bit different based on culture, financial situation, all of the other factors involved, right? But the cycle will be the same. So we had the incident of abuse and then we had the honeymoon stage of gifts. So then we kind of have this calm stage. So this is how the cycle goes is because the victim ends up taking the abuser back. Um, Everything is great again. This time, I know he changed. This time is different. I can see it in his eyes. He, you know, he let me meet his family. He let me do things that maybe he didn't let me before. Or he let me go out with my friends. He never lets me go out with my friends. He's changing. I am changing him. That's another one too. I'm changing him. I really feel like this is the time. And it's very convinced. Okay, this isn't just like thinking this, like this man, I say man because it usually is, but it happens in women abusing men as well in the same cycle. But okay, so the abuser could even convince the friends and the family, even though we know that we are, you know, as friends and family, that we are in the conscious mind. Sometimes we can even be like a little persuasive. You're like, I know this because I know the domestic violence cycle but I'm still like, well, maybe it is. Then I feel like a dick if I tell her not to go back. You know, so that could be there too. So this is how we involve friends and family as well. So anyways, we got the abuser back, abuser victim back together. So then there's kind of like this calm stage, right? Like I for, if we forgot what happened, we're trying to move forward. This relationship is awesome. And then we have this like tension, tension, tension building. The abuser might become more irritable. They might, you might start fighting a little bickering more and more and more that can't really be resolved. He starts taking things away from you again. It's this whole two steps forward, five and a half steps back, right? So we get that and that's kind of this tension building state is like, I feel like I know what's coming. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it because you are just like, you are in that honeymoon, right? You're transferring over to this trend, uh, tension building state. So sometimes it's it's hard to see this tension building coming because you think that you're good now. So you think that you know how to work through your problems when in reality, this tension building state's coming. So then we come back around to the incident, to the verbal abuse, to the hitting, to throwing shit across the room, to taking things away from you, punishing you, blaming you for whatever, you know, verbal and emotional abuse of you're fucking worthless. You are dumb. You are nothing without me. You're never going to get better than me. What are you even fucking good for anyways? You're a damn idiot. You fucking whore. You fucking bitch. Sorry about the language, but that is the reality. So we're saying it. I'm like, hmm, maybe iTunes will not approve this, but so this is how the cycle begins again. The hitting happens, blah, 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 blah. And each kind of step of leaving or pulling back may get a little greater but a lot of these times you can pretty much put a finger on when they're going to be abused again it's pretty nuts just based on their own cycle so i tell people if you really want to see if it's a cycle look at these stages track them on a calendar and you will start to see patterns and it's nuts. It's like actual science. Like how is your brain, this abuser's brain actually functioning in this kind of cycle? There's a lot of theories and reasons and risk factors uh, for why domestic violence occurs. In the point of this podcast, we're not really going to get into that right now. I just wanted to introduce this domestic violence 
cycle of denial. Oh yeah, in the, in the middle of these cycles is denial. It's really hard to see when you're in an abusive relationship sometimes, especially if it's verbal and emotional because we start trusting these people and we start thinking that there's no way that they will hurt us and that this is love. You know, he told me he loves me. He tells me every day he loves me. And I think this is really, really important. He can be the perfect guy 99% of the time and usually it's not 99 but that's just my little scenario here 99% of the time he can be absolutely fantastic or 75% of the time everything you've ever wanted if he is abusing you that 1% of the time that is not love and that is where it gets confusing because majority of the time he's perfect. And so those times of love and affection and support and partnership, he's awesome. Or there, the abuser is awesome. So it's harder for us to see the actual reality of us being abused. And, you know, with the abuse it comes a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment so it can be extremely hard so if we're starting to see these kind of cycles there's a lot of resources in many areas that you can call for support or help you can see a therapist you can go to domestic violence services in reno it is safe embrace is a really good one you can call the crisis call center line if you are in danger or if you just want to talk to someone and ask them what you should do in a situation like this or you just need someone to talk to. So the crisis call center line is an awesome line as well. All right, so in light of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we've kind of talked about domestic violence, what it is, how to recognize it, where to get resources in your community. But I also want to talk about prevention. So I have John Malcolm here, and he works for Safe Embrace. So kind of introduce yourself and what you do. Yeah, so um, my name is John Malcolm. I'm the Outreach and Prevention Education um, Specialist at Safe Embrace. Um, what Safe Embrace is is a nonprofit here in our community that um, has services dedicated to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. We provide emergency shelter, transitional housing, support groups, therapy, and professional education. And the job I get to do is go out in the community and try to stop the generational cycle, what's going on with um, domestic violence. And most of my programs that I'm coordinating um, actually deal with high school and middle school athletics. So I run two evidence-based programs. One's called Coaching Boys and the Men, which is a program that's geared towards training athletic coaches um, to talk to their male athletes about preventing relationship abuse and promoting healthy relationships and athletes to leaders, which is the same concept, but it's deal with um, female athletes. So when did you start this program? Because I think this is so cool because I think prevention has to start younger. We can't start when the problem is already happening. Yeah, so when did you start this? So I took this, this position last year. So it's a grant funded position through the State of Nevada Behavior Help um, Rape Prevention Education. Um, so last spring was our first season in the school district. We had a few um, high school baseball teams um, do this program. So Sparks High School, McQueen High School, uh, Galena High School, and Reno High School Baseball uh, did the coaching boys in the men's program for the first time. And then Galena Softball was actually part of the national pilot for athletes as leaders. And that was our first season. Um, we've taken this program outside of the athletic platform and we've gone to physical education classes in middle schools and high schools and also to um, juvenile detention centers and um, juvenile um, rehabilitation centers and um, a bunch of anywhere where we can have the opportunity to give a platform to talk to our youth. Um, we've been able to do prevention education. That's so cool. I feel like it's we don't really have these kind of things in communities. And so that's awesome that we're implementing that in Reno. So what do you teach these boys or these coaches? Because you coach, you teach the coaches, right? Yeah. Most of the time. So how it's laid out um, is I do a hour and a half training with coaches on this program. You know, I talk to, I talk to the program first. You know, I talk about how powerful um, sports are in society and you look at where we develop as you know people we look at the home we look at the military we look at the church and we look at sports um, you look at right now you know 30 percent of homes are suffering from substance abuse and 20 percent are suffering from mental health um, issues right and it's then, even worse in nevada yeah exactly you know <laughs> you know unfortunately we're the we're the best at the worst at a yeah. lot of stuff oh yeah we are um, 
And then you look at the church, within the next 10 years, the general population attendance is to go down to under 10%. And 60% really? of the general population that misses church on Sundays is missing it for football, right? Okay. Oh, and then you look at the military, right? Washout rates are, you know, starting to increase. So we look at that last platform as sports and, you know, how we develop. It, it plays a huge role, and coaches have a huge influence on that, you know. Coaches aren't just there for, especially at the high school level and the middle school level. You know, it's a little bit different in, you know, unfortunately in college and in, in, uh, NFL or professional sports because, you know, it's a business, right? But high school, you know, you're there to not only teach X's and O's, but you're there to teach the game as life as well. And coaches play a you know, a pretty powerful role in that as a, you know, as a role model and a, and a mentor and a teacher and all these things. So what this program does is utilizes that unique relationship. And when I start this training, I talk about that. And then I talk about, you know, the worst case scenario that happens with your team that can destroy your season. And that's, you know, the sexual assault that could happen with one of your players that, you know, happens on the field and comes back and destroys team chemistry and all that stuff. And, you know, I talk about how prevalent um, domestic violence is, and especially in Nevada. You know, we've been in, in the top five for the past 15 years of husbands murdering former wives and girlfriends, right? So it, it's a big sure. issue. And then I talk about it. I see, you know, why am I talking to coaches? Why am I not talking to social workers and counselors? Because the products of these homes that are being destroyed are on their team. And if I'm a coach and I'm all about, you know, developing my guys to be the best they can be on and off the field, i got to step back and think of my – addressing some of these issues and these issues that you know all coaches definitely want to address do I have the tools and do I have the you know the resources to do that so I implement this program I train them we talk about what domestic violence is how to recognize it you know we talk about sexual assault how to talk about consent and then how to make this program um, implement in, in a timely manner so they're not you know losing time during practices yeah. or games or things like that so that's what that training covers and then once a week for 15 minutes, coaches are having guided talks with their players on different topics, right? So for coaching boys and men, you know, it goes over respect and accountability and disrespectful language towards women and girls and bragging about sexual reputation and, and locker room talk and digital respect and consent and relationship abuse and communicating boundaries and when aggression crosses the line and how to promote equality and, and respect for others. And then athletes as leaders cover some of those as well with, you know, rumor spreading, self-image, standards of beauty, gender stereotypes. For females, right? Yeah, this is yeah. for the female program and relationship abuse and consent as well. Um, so, you know, that's Yeah, like, even going back to, like, the social workers, like, not everyone has a social worker. And I even see them in the hospital. They, they're, they aren't with the patients a lot. Of, like, they're with them for, like, a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, patients or people don't exactly look up to them mm. whereas I think with coaches they do look up like you talked about being a mentor they do look up to them what they do is cool and so I think that's really important to kind of get them from all aspects so are you tracking this how are you guys getting the data and figuring out like if this is working yeah no absolutely so you know these programs are evidence-based right so we gotta mm -hmm. prove it somehow it works so we measure it as a pre and post survey so okay. in the beginning of this year, you know, we administer a preseason survey with the athletes and they measure two things, you know, recognition of abusive behavior and bystander intervention. So we ask questions like on a scale of one to five, one being non-abusive and five being extremely abusive, um, you know, forcing someone to have sex or hitting your intimate partner. You know, we range on a scale of one to five how abusive it is. And then for bystander intervention, you know, we ask scenario questions and we ask on a scale of one to five, one being I'm not gonna do anything, to five I'm gonna intervene 100% on certain scenarios. So for example, if you see okay. someone taking advantage, um, taking advantage of someone, you know, sexually who's, you know, maybe under the influence of drug and alcohol and can't consent, you know, are you more likely to intervene? Right. And we see the results and, you know, I share it with the coaches and there's usually, you know, they're pretty staggering because um, there's always one or two kids that don't think it's not abusive. And, right. you know, when I talk to these coaches, I'm like, there's, those are one or two kids that not only can, you know, destroy their own lives, but they can also destroy your team chemistry and they can also destroy, you know, your career as well. So if you're all about what you're about as a coach, you know, teaching about respect and integrity, you know, you have to have these guided talks for players. And then at the end of the season, we administer the same survey and we, and we see the improvements. So we see about a 20 to 30% improvement in recognition of abusive behaviors and um, bystander intervention.
this statistic I got from the coalition, but one in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to, to this violence. So I feel like this goes into, like you said, how a lot of boys, I guess, don't recognize that that's even abuse because they could have grown up with it. So that's normal to them. It's mm -hmm. normal to treat people like this. It's normal to treat women like this or others like this. So kind of breaking that standard. Also, we see that abuse runs in families. Unfortunately, not genetically, but because of the environmental factors that they're exposed to. Mm -hmm. So I think we hope that parents teach their kids these things and that they're in the home, but we also have to realize that that's not exactly realistic in a lot of people's cases. So do you feel like the people, or I guess you might not really know, but the boys that come into this program who don't think those things are abusive see that in their families and in their home lives? Yeah, you know, this program definitely brings, you know, that up where they were like oh this is you know these are abusive behaviors because you know you know like i said earlier i have the job title of you know stopping a generational cycle um right you know when you witness domestic violence in a home you're more likely to develop antisocial issues growing up you know you don't develop you know their your right. frontal lobe your frontal cortex you know all that stuff you know it, it kind of gets shut down because you're always in fight or flight yeah, their brains can't progress because they have to meet those like basic level needs, right? right Food, you know, water, yeah, shelter. your body, you know, your body doesn't know the difference between life or death, right? right? So they're always in that fight or flight. They're always trying, you know, they're just trying to survive and they just see it as this is how, this is how it rolls. This mm -hmm. is how I do. Right. And then, you know, you have someone with good rapport with the kid, you know, a kid that, you know, they can trust, they, they, you know, listen to them and they see that hey, these are abusive behaviors in my home. I got to stop this kind of thing. Because, you know, right. especially as, you know, high school kids, you know, you know, when you talk about their 18, they're still kids. They're kids at heart. Oh, right? yeah, So you have sure. an opportunity. They're still developing, right? You're not fully developed. Until you're 25. Well, I 20, guess the new study is 27 now. So I still got another year. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even developed yet. So, right? So, I mean, and, you know, there's an opportunity before, you know, I guess they leave the nest. You have, you know, that last chance to, you know, hopefully develop these boys to, you know, I guess, you know, become men. Yeah. What are your thoughts on kind of preventing it at even younger ages? You know, we've been looking at curriculums for, you know, the first year, you know, it's been great. You know, we've we've executed CBIM and athletes as leaders throughout our community, but we're not just a one and done kind of thing. You know, we want to keep this this prevention ad going for the next few years and we have to expand our age demographics somehow. So what right. we're trying to do is, you know, we're trying to go to younger ages is, you know, 10 years old. And, you know, expands all the way up to 25, you know, going to fraternities and sororities right. and stuff. But when it comes to little kids, it's more building them foundation of good character, right? What is right. respect? What is integrity? We're not going to go in there and talk about, you know, sexual consent with a 10-year-old, right? I mean, but you right. can go over the foundations of what consent is, you know? Right. So, for example, when we go to middle schools, you know, coaches are like, how am I going to talk about bragging about sexual reputation to a you know, a 12 year old, right? right? I mean, there's some kids that- But they that, do have sex. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you have the, some kids that are just out, you know, just, that haven't had the birds and the bees talk. Oh, yeah. And you have some that are just like, as a, you know, I used to sub before I took this position and you hear some of the conversations these 12 year olds are having. And you're like, <laughs> oh my nuts. goodness. Um, <laughs> like, how do you even know what that is? <laughs> but now, you know, we talk about bragging about sexual reputation. You take that word out. Now you're just bragging about reputation. Do you want someone that's, you know, arrogant? You want those kind of traits right. on your, as a person. Right. Right. So when they get older, they have that foundation now that we can build up on it and then we can get more in depth with, you know, that conversation of, you know, bragging about sexual reputation and things like that. Do you have to get consent from parents? Um, yeah, you know, yes and no. So we get, so when it comes to the middle school, you know, coaches always ask during a training, like parents, 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 you know, parents can make God, a break. God, they're the everything. worst, man. Right. <laughs> so we, we do have, we do have a um, parent letter that we give out. We talk about this isn't that to do with any incident just happened. We're just taking, you know, a very proactive approach mm -hmm. and trying to prevent, you know, a lot of stuff from happening with our kids. Right. We go over the topics, you know, we give them my contact information, the schools, things like that. And they have an opt-out program where the question is, no, I do not want my child to partake in this violence prevention education program. Do you get a lot of that? I have, you know, out of, you know, for example, at one of our middle schools, we had about 250 students. And I think maybe five maybe opt-out. So, I mean, there's still those kids that... You know, unfortunately, we do opt out, but I mean, you know, it is what it, it is. But yeah, it's, um, it kind of like, just shows. Like, I what? feel like you get less parents opting out if you put it as like domestic violence prevention or if you word it like sex ed. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it's just... Sexual education. Right? I mean, it's, it's all about how you word it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, especially what was going on, you know, last, you know, recent what's been going on, you know, with all the school shootings and things like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, last year, you know, about every other day, there, you know, a middle school is going into code red or some threat was going to happen yeah, or seriously. something like that. So when the parent sees, like, no, I'm, no, I'm good, I'm going to not put my child in a violence prevention program. You know, <laughs> yeah. Really? Kind of thing. So, you know, we've had a lot of, we haven't came across any parent issues at all. You know, parents have been very um, supportive of these two programs. I feel like that's good because I feel like parents are such a huge hurdle because all parents, I think, you know, not to like blame parents, but they all think that they know what's best for their kids. And I'm not saying that they don't, but you kind of get the like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach them about sex or I'm going to teach them about violence. But like what I see with sex education, they don't teach them the right things. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> like, just, I mean, that, and that's the same thing with, you know, when it comes to athletics, you know, what do, what do I know as a coach kind of thing, you know, I've, right. you know, you have the dude who played, he was a, he was a stud senior on his JV team in high school kind of thing, and it's just, I think he knows, you know, everything. Um, you know, so parents, it's just nothing, we're trying to collaborate with everybody to, Educated. It's just a different way of, you know, making parents just more informed of these topics. And it's just, you know, it's a good snowball effect to get these, you know, these parents yeah. to have these meaningful conversations with their parents or with parents with their kids, children. right? Yeah. I know one of the things that I eventually want to go speak to younger children like you're kind of doing, but I one of my ideas, which I heard that they're doing somewhere in Marshall County, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're having like the sexual education program or and that includes domestic violence. They're having the, the parents that wanna like opt out or that are kind of curious about what you're gonna be teaching their kids. I would like perform a presentation before mm. that we go into the classes and kind of explain to the parents a, a little bit more in depth of, okay, this is what we're gonna be teaching your kids, but this is why it's important. And this is what the research shows about it and all of that stuff. And I'm hoping that maybe that will get parents to choose to opt their kids in. Mm -hmm. Do you teach the kids or the boys about the opposite? So about women partner violence, so women hitting physically abused emotionally abusing them as well yeah you know we you know we it's um you know a lot of people think it's just you know you know a men's issue but it's it's just both right. you know it's both parties kind of thing so a lot of it we talk about emotional abuse you know a lot of it you know especially where i you know we work we get a lot of um when we get any males that call it it deals with a lot of actual you know financial abuse really um that we see quite a bit mm -hmm. um so you know when I do presentations, especially when I, you know, go out and I talk to kids, especially with prevention ed, you know, we show what is domestic violence. And, you know, it's a pattern mm -hmm. of abusive behavior that, you know, when a when a partner is has um, power control over somebody, we go right. over all the different things. And, you know, we get a lot of comments from boys, right? Yeah, my girlfriend did that at one point or right. things like that. So, we, you know, we address it both ways. You don't, no one deserves to be in an abusive relationship. Do you find that there, if a woman is abusing them, like, in an intimate partner relationship that they're more embarrassed to say something or like they have to be a man and that makes them less of a man if the woman is abusing them because men don't get abused. Or... Yeah, so there's, you know, there's that masculinity thing, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm supposed to be tough, I'm not supposed to have, you know, express my emotions, things like that. Um, where, you know, now we're creating kind of that, you know, that, you know, that term safe place kind of gets taken out of contest. You know, everyone talks about safe place and snowflakes and things like that. But mm -hmm. when you actually don't have a safe place to talk, about right. these these issues because you're being abused, you know somehow we got to create a safe place for you to actually come and, and talk about that stuff. Because some of these issues, right. I mean, it, it's detrimental to you know development of these kids, and it just keeps it going of this generational cycle. I mean, you just see it over and over yeah. again. So. I see it a lot in college too of women taking advantage of men because I think so much we talk about men placing violence on women, but we don't talk about it the other way. And I think it's just because we can do less damage physically. Yeah, so it's kind of like, um, yeah, for, for, so for example, um, you know, this next week, you know, we're going into um, health classes in the school district um, because they cover, you know, violence and, mm -hmm. you know, what sexual abuse. And, the, and there's one talk they cover is, you know, is date rape. Right. And we're looking at, you know, 
you know, how to show it and things like that. I mean, you see the double standards sometimes. So, for example, oh, when yeah, a, sure. a guy roofies a girl's drink, everyone loses their minds. Like, right. this, this, this is unfortunate. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are you doing that? Right. But then, you know, they showed them one video of a girl roofing a guy's drink, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, like, go yeah. for it. Like, no big deal. Kind and of you're like, no, that this, is still this, wrong. This, yeah, it's just wrong is wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter. Boy on girl, girl on boy, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, that, yeah. that form of just that general idea of respect and integrity, right. you know, we've kind of... Unfortunately, somehow for we've, we've lost it, really. Right. And I think the gray area is kind of the area that we have to make more definite because like I teach college boys about, you know, don't have sex with a girl when she's unconscious. And that's kind of like, you do see it like the Stanford case, right? Mm -hmm. In the media, but everyone knows that's wrong. Even if you have done that before, you pretty much know that's wrong. I think it's the gray area, right? So when can you have sex with someone and they're too drunk or, cause we see that all the time in college. The guys are like, I didn't roofie her. She wasn't passed out. She wasn't unconscious. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that's not the point. Right. <laughs> We're missing the point there. So defining those lines. And I think they are super gray areas because I know at least in college and now honestly into high schools too, people are drinking all the time. Mm -hmm. And saying that you're gonna take alcohol away is just, it's never gonna happen. And I think that's just a, it would be a dumb battle to fight. So we have to get in that mindset of, okay, when, how do we know? Exactly. Right, it's, it's and, still illegal. Yeah, right? and, and but, the thing, that, you know, when we go out and talk about it and stuff is, you know, I, I use a saying, you know, when, when no one's watching is actually when everyone's watching you the most, you know, when mm -hmm. everyone's back to you, right? So, like, do you want to be known as that guy? Is that, is that the way you're going to carry yourself? Not only right. as a man, but as a person, right? You're going to be that right. kind of dude that wakes up in the morning like, yeah. It's just, there's just a way of talking to kids and talking to, you know, younger adults about, you know, that form of respect is like, do you want to have that kind of experience with someone? Right. Right. So, I mean, it's just, you know, there's just ways to definitely talk about it in a way where you're calling people out on their character and they're able to step back, look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, I got to change some things. I got to change right. how I act. I got to change maybe how much alcohol I take or, you know, maybe, you know, you see, you put yourself in situations like, hey, you know, I need to get out of here because, you know, like, I'm going to be the better person here because, you right. know, I got bigger things to do. Um, moving forward in my life and this is something that you know I'm not gonna let define me kind of thing yeah and not even just doing what's right and you know morally and ethically but also like you have a career right you have a future ahead of you and so just I mean that shouldn't be the only reason that we're not abusing people but you have so much up ahead of you that just like one little mistake little mm -hmm. right little mistake right. in quotes can change your whole life and that's like the one of the things in the stanford case too is they said um 20 minutes of action for or something something about 20 minutes of action and yeah <laughs> it was 20 minutes of action for you and now you have this on your plate your entire mm -hmm. life and this woman has changed her life forever and so we have to think about those things but I, like we talked about your brain's not developed yet so sometimes we don't think very uh rationally mm -hmm. um but we have to instill these morals and these ethics so that they're there even when they're not using their brain no right? absolutely yeah so i want to tell you about the tickle theory okay so i think it's so important to teach consent from birth so you know when you have little kids and you're just like, they can be like three, four, whatever. It can be like sister tickling you mm. or cousin and they're tickling you, tickling you and they're laughing and laughing and they're like, stop, stop. Right. And you don't stop. And you're like, but you're laughing or whatever. That's kind of showing them that their word doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And you're also teaching the boys, I guess, that stop doesn't mean stop. She's mm -hmm. laughing, so it doesn't, her word stop doesn't matter. And so if you start like tickling someone and or like a little kid and they're like stop even though they're laughing and you actually do stop most of the time they'll be like no keep going mm -hmm. and you're kind of like showing them that you can't just say stop if you don't mean it right and people think that's kind of ridiculous mm -hmm. <laughs> like that kind of scenario but you see it all the time and i'll also see it with like little kids and going to see like their grandparents or uncle like when you're at christmas time you have a little kid and mom's like go hug uncle ted right go hug him and they're in the corner like they don't want to hug him whatever reason right he couldn't even he may not even be abusing her but you don't know mm -hmm. and so showing them that 
they have control over their body and that if they don't feel comfortable, we should never force a child to go hug someone or mm -hmm. sit on their lap, even if it's grandpa, mm -hmm. right? Or grandma. So I think that's another thing that I like to teach parents too. I, I see it all the time, even with my own family and me. I was just with a kid the other day at my work and she didn't want to come up to me. She doesn't know me. And she's like, go up to her. I'm like, no, give her a break. Mm -hmm. Like if she doesn't want to come to me yet, she's not comfortable and that's totally okay. So I think like you said, kind of like middle schoolers, we don't have to teach. We're you're just, it sounds like, you know, I never, you know, before today, it was a tickle theory. I was like, what? But now, you know, tickle understand, it, you're, just, you're just building a, a, you know, a foundation. And then when you get older, you, you have at least a foundation to, to talk about. Right. Um, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, sexual assault and things like that. Um, but you're building, you're just building a foundation. Right. Of what's, you know, what's right and wrong. I mean, you see that, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I always go back to that generational cycle thing. You just see it because, you know, kids have been exposed right. to it at an early age right. and then they just get more in depth into it when they get older and, and it can even school. be like super innocent like the tickle theory like they don't even have to be like abused but i see it i remember like my own personal story from high school guys would like, seriously like try and make out with you or whatever and i'm like stop stop actually being like stop but you don't want to be a bitch mm -hmm. and you're like stop stop and then they don't stop and you're like stop like fucking stop and right. they're like god bitch Right. <laughs> like now I'm the bitch, right? Because yeah. I went off on you for that. That's kind of like what the tickle theory was, mm -hmm. is this is it in adult form or mm -hmm. adolescent form. My voice is saying, oh no, you know, and the, the guy over here is like, oh, she's just playing hard to get, she wants it. And it's like, okay, maybe, but if you actually stopped and I did want it, then I'd be like, oh no, you can keep going. Mm -hmm. Hey, like you, teaching to like use your words. Right. Um, so I kind of want to talk about the media and domestic violence. I wanna do a prevention program, kinda of like what you guys are doing, mm -hmm. but really get influential people like athletes involved where kids look up to people like Floyd Mayweather and Chad Ochocinco and OJ Simpson, all in the media for domestic violence or rape or assault. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously, like you mentioned before we were doing this podcast, that there's they're actually doing some awesome things as well in the media, but do you think that implementing them into these kind of programs would affect children just as like what you're doing and being a mentor to them as well? Yeah, absolutely. Because these are, you know, these are powerful athletes that people look up to. I mean, for example, you take Floyd Mayweather, a dude who's probably the, without a doubt, the highest paid athlete in the world, a guy that is completely dominant. You know, guys look at, you know, how dominant he is in the ring, the lifestyle he lives outside of it, you know, all the glamour, all the, all owning all the strip clubs in Vegas kind of thing. I mean, yeah. you know, guys, you know, idolize that and things like that. You know, they, they, they see the glamour, they see all that stuff, but you know, there's other, you know, athletes where, for example, you know, you look at the, you know, stop bowling campaign that MLB is doing right now and you see yeah. athletes like Aaron Judge, you know, who's a rookie of the year last year. You see Justin Verlander, you know, you see, all these, you know, powerful athletes trying to pass on, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty positive message, right? So, I right. mean, we just got to find the right athletes to look up to and yeah. the right athletes to, you know, talk about these issues and things right. like that. And this is something that I want to, like, if this program ever happens, and I don't want to make people change who they are and what they do, right? So, I mean, a lot of athletes are super inappropriate and they like to party and they like to drink and whatever. And I don't want them to change that about themselves. Like, I'm not saying sit at home and don't drink. I'm not saying you can't say the you're, word you're fuck. You're not gonna tell Rob Rock County to sit down. Exactly, exactly. My guys can keep partying. Yeah, um, but I want them to be able to show them like, yes, you can still party and you can have fun and you can drink and all these things, but you can do it in a way that's still respectful and at the end of the day they have these morals in the back of their brain and that they're composed of to show these kids like yes you can still have fun and you can still do these things but actually you can still be a good person while you do it yeah, right exactly you know you know you know it's like that you know that sunday you know that kind of hangover kind of feeling when you wake up next year like oh my god you know last <laughs> yeah. night was bought this and that but you can wake up and like even though yeah you may feel completely awful because you crushed about 10 moscow meals but you can wake up <laughs> saying hey you know, I was a respectful person, you know, I was right. still, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, I was, right. you know, consensual with anybody or things like that, you know, right. I wasn't disrespectful, I wasn't trying, you know, fighting or anything like right. that. You can still go out and have the time of your life kind of thing, but you can go home at the end of the day and wake up the next day knowing that, hey, you're still a good person and, you know, right. you definitely still had a positive impact on a lot of people, you know, maybe that night you went out, you know, made new friends and <laughs> all that kind of stuff like that. So there's definitely... You know, changing, you know, there's a lot of, there's actually a nonprofit in Vegas, you know, they go, they have a program, it's called Party Smart, 
and they're you know oh, really? trying to change people like that you know try to talk about right. know, kind of the respectful ways of right. you know partying and things like that and they're actually trying to train they're starting to train uh, hotel security to how to you know recognize domestic That's violence cool. and sexual assault yeah there's so many especially in the world of you know nonprofits. there's so many you know diamonds in the rough right, right. i mean there's a new program that we're working at called safety and you know they have the can i kiss you program that you know that's oh, yeah, they can yeah, be implemented yeah. from k through 12 and mm-hmm. you know mentors in violence prevention where you know next year we're hoping to go and take that to you know the rotc programs and that's i mean cool. There's so yeah. many curriculums and there's so many ways to, at the end of the day, you're all, you're just trying to adjust one issue. And, and it's right. our slogan too, is love shouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and there's so many ways and so many, you know, different opportunities to address it and how to get that, you know, goal accomplished. It's kind of like, you know, we have a, a great little fire that we hand out, you know, it's, you know, it's that tip of the iceberg, right? So, you know, there's direct violence, which, you know, everyone, when everyone, you know, we ask what is domestic violence kind of mm-hmm. thing. We know what it is. I mean, everyone goes, well, black eyes, you know, stuff like black that. Black right. Everyone goes, black eyes. But yeah. what about the indirect violence? You know, right. the psychological effects. You know, now I can't, you know, I keep getting my employment sabotaged my mm-hmm. because my, you know, my abuser doesn't want me to work. Right. Right. You know, now I'm getting isolated. I'm, you know, I've cut ties with my friends and family. Now right. Just, Isolation. Yeah. Now I'm just attached to the hips of this, you know, abuser. Right. So, I mean, there's so much indirect violence that. You know, a lot of people don't take into consideration that, you right. know, we're trying to bring up that it, it, it's it's so much more than just the black guys. Right. Right. I've been doing, like, kind of my own research, right? Just mm-hmm. being super observant about, like, coercion. And I think there's different kinds of coercion. I think it's different when you do, like, peer-to-peer coercion than when you do people of authority, like teachers and students. Like, the coercion's a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do peer-to-peer, like, men going to bars and buying a girl a drink over and over and over again. Dude, I know you don't have money. You're in college. You don't have that money to spend. Why are you really buying her drinks? Because he thinks that she's going to change her mind. Or he thinks that he has a better chance of hooking up with her if she's drunker. Or that she's going to like him better because he's buying her things. And then also bringing people back to your room, your dorm, your house, apartment, whatever. And then assuming that that's what you get. Assuming that she's coming home with you so that you're entitled to sex with her because of that. Or because I bought you drinks. And so I think that would also go with domestic violence like you kind of see it in relationships but also people that are just meeting for the first time it's just taking advantage of people or you can see kind of the cycles go with like the honeymoon phase and then and then the tension starts building up yeah. again and all the apologies and right. I'm sorry it's never gonna happen again right. I'm gonna change right you know and then and the cycle right. going again I think that's all I have do you have anything else to chip in um, you know, I think, you know, we covered a lot of stuff today. You know, I appreciate you having me on today. You know, yeah, thanks for to, coming. You know, exactly. You know, we, it was a very, um, especially with the next level, when we expand this program to go mm-hmm. to college, we're going to have to have more in-depth and more, I guess, expertise when talking about this, right? Because yeah. now you're talking with, you know, college students who are, you know, paying $30,000 for that right. 8 by 11 paper, right? So they <laughs> yeah. think they're, you know, they're pretty smart, but you need the expertise now to go in and I think what... You know what you're doing here with women against um, taboo and you know what we're doing to safe embrace too you know bring that expertise to the college campuses and the, right. you know younger adults and expanding age demographics and going to different platforms um you know i think you know we're, we're getting the ball moving on you know some you know some pretty powerful stuff here for sure and that's why um we talked about this too and i talked about this with jake Wiskirchen, but i feel like i'm i make a pretty good impact with sororities or females mm-hmm. but it's different when i go to speak to the boys because it's one thing for a girl to say stop abusing girls but I think it's a another thing when a man comes in like what you're 26 mm-hmm. um, almost a little bit higher than their peer right a little bit older than them um, saying like that's not cool especially with um, you know why you're you know tying it back to those professional athletes right I mean mm-hmm. it's kind of like a thing where you know someone with Perkins Sam you look at Jake right I mean a guy that's running you know you know one of the state certified professional counselor every single acronym at you know the end of oh, the email yeah. kind of thing has his own podcast um, yeah someone who's incredibly intelligent comes in and, you know it's that that motivation kind of you know mm-hmm. kind of thing you have to come in and, and, and you motivate these kids to be better people you know there's mm-hmm. this how i look at it all you know working kind of been you know thrown into this world of behavioral health where you know the past few years i've been on fortune i've been fortunate enough to do in-house counseling you know working with victims and you see it it's just a lot of it's just a character issue just these yeah. abusers and you know coming in especially as a coach kind of thing you know for example 
you know, we show the equality will, right, to, you know, big times like these are the things that you're looking for mm-hmm. in your relationship, trust and respect right. and honesty and integrity and all this stuff. And, you know, every single coach talks about it every day in the right. world of athletics. And, you know, you got to take that outside of that to, you know, be a successful person. Right. And, and you can some you can somehow tie it into you know domestic violence and sexual assault, and you can still accomplish the goal of not only ending it but also making these just making these kids as better people. Right, and preventing it, and I think um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I started this like prevention organization because there are so many awesome organizations out there like Safe Embrace or SAS or um, Thorn mm-hmm. that go out and help victims that are already there. But if you kind of look at the research, once it's there. You're not stopping the mental health. You're not stopping the change in their life forever. So I think prevention programs are kind of like the way to change the world. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm going to change the world. <laughs> to change that world. And so going off of that, um, a lot of people asked me when I said, when I made Women Against Taboo, when I was thinking about changing the name, because it really started out as women and empowering women. And then it's since evolved from that. But I get guys all the time, well, can I buy a shirt? Is it going to say Men Against Taboo? And I'm like, not the point, okay? Like, this is the organization. Mm-hmm. I think it's one thing when people fight for their own rights or fight for their own causes. But when you have people that don't identify with those demographics come in and really fight for it as well, I think that's when you get all this movement. I support the LGBTQ community, but I don't identify as any of those things, right? Or I support Black Lives Matter, but I'm not African-American. And so I think that's like how you kind of bring in the community and get everyone on board. And that's when I think the most change happens. So I love that you're doing this because you mostly see women doing it. It's awesome that men can do it as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, everybody talks about, for example, you know, we're working um, in collaborations with the Children's Cabinet. You know, they're gonna, you know, we're gonna start working with, you know, kids that have been, you know, in gains, right? And, mm-hmm. then, you know, he's, and, you know, I was talking to one of the guys and he said in the game life, right? Inside the game, and you're in the game, you know, they, they treat women awful. But right. outside of it, the women that aren't in part of the game, you know, you better, you better respect your mom. You better, you yeah, know, you better not your girlfriend, crazy, kind of thing yeah. like that. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's really interesting to see that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's definitely a platform where, you know, males can definitely address other males about this issue. Right. For sure. Which I think is where you're going to see a lot of the change. So I admire everything that you're doing. I think your program is so awesome. I can't wait to learn more too because I want to expand my own program as well. So thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And uh, best of luck. And I'm looking forward to keep working with you. You as well. So that is a wrap for another episode. I just wanted to say really quick that I will not be able to be putting out a podcast every week. School is just crazy right now. I think I have something around like 46 or 45 more days of school. And then I will be able to put a little bit more time and energy into educating you all through this podcast. So bear with me, stick in there. Um, It's going to be a little bit unpredictable for a while, but I appreciate all the support. So thank you again.